Welcome to the Self-Evident and Forgotten Podcast, a show with conversations on the truths of liberty and odd opinions. We're your hosts, Stanton, Christy, and Cody. As always, the opinions we express are ours and ours alone, and they don't necessarily reflect those of our employers or any other organization we may belong to. Wherever you are, and however you're listening and whatever you're doing, thanks for tuning in. Now relax and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Self-Evident and Forgotten. We are your hosts, Stanton, Christy, and Cody. A couple weeks ago, the United States Senate passed a $1 trillion infrastructure bill, uh, the largest in at least a decade. It is the byproduct of a bipartisan compromise with Biden, President Biden, that is, and Senate Democrats sacrificing grander plans or Republicans acquiescing to some greener projects. But we here at SEF have a critical question. Does such a spending plan, bipartisan or not, fit with the often forgotten ideas that made our country spectacular? But first, the random question of the episode. Christy and Cody, what was your least favorite class in high school oh like math hands down i am so <laughs> which will kill me if i ever run for office one day and i'm like hey i'm terrible at math so let me take care of the budget but i i <laughs> think those are two different equations understanding economics and just liking math so like algebra tri- trigonometry is horrible like oh, yeah. that is not my cup of tea I, I always joke that um, <clears throat> no, my wife, uh, she did a double major. One of them was biology. And so she had, had to do some actual science and math. And I tell her that, you know, I'm a political science major. Political math is very simple. $40 billion, $80 billion. I, I, there's not really a difference. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I, I, least favorite or like worst class? Like, I, Interpret as you wish. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I, I, I was somewhat of a, this will come as a surprise to everybody. Uh, I was somewhat of a class clown in high school. Um, <laughs> Shocker. I know just utter, utter surprise. But uh, so I had classes where like I performed poorly in, but then I was able to raise my grade as soon as I like actually did the homework when I felt like it. Um so I don't know if there was a class that like was really bad for me. And then I did a lot of music. I played in like every band that my school had. So I didn't have to go to class all that often. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, in college, some of the philosophy classes, I hated certain. So I did a philosophy class where we focused uh, in large part on Heidegger. And I absolutely <laughs> hate Heidegger. Okay. <laughs> so if I can expand it out a little bit, like high school is just kind of like, it is what it is sort of thing. Yeah. Had a lot of fun. Didn't pay a whole ton of attention sometimes, but uh, by the time I got to, clo- uh, by the time I got to college, yeah, there was, there was some, some strong dislikes. Oh, sure. I, I, I always hated my Spanish classes, my foreign language classes. I, I, you know what? I'm sure if I was, very diligent, and I put every ounce of effort into learning a second language. I could do it, 
maybe if you thrusted me into the middle of Mexico City, I could do it. But I I cannot. I I did terribly with uh, with Latin in college. I tried to do two semesters of Latin. I got a B, but only because the professor was like kind to me. So thank you, Dr. Mulholland, for for being so kind in your in your grading. But I cannot do foreign languages to save my life, and I just disliked it. Now that said, Miss Rael, she was a great Spanish teacher. I was just terrible Spanish student. Oh man, Latin's <laughs> the best. I have my like literally my Latin textbook is just over my left shoulder, sitting on my bookcase. I bet you are your Roman classicist. You would be yeah. so happy to know that I teach my children Latin. So. What really? Latin is wonderful language. What book do you use to teach them? Like, are you Um, using classical conversations curriculum right now? And then it goes. There's like a more deeper curriculum they get into when they hit sixth grade, which will be next year for my daughter. Okay, I don't know what age range Wheelox is for, but Wheelox is the go-to Latin. Yeah, Wheelox could be anything. Like our our seventh through twelfth graders here at Liberty. They use a Wheelock, but I, that's the same one I used in college too. So I think it's like the ultimate beginner comprehensive text. And I didn't Sweet. understand it. That's the thing. My kids are all like by sometimes trilingual through, through like Spanish and Latin or French and Latin. But yeah, I'm just like, I'm just behind. You know what? That's the right answer. I'm stealing Stan's answer because I had to, when I moved to Canada, it's a country which has it's a bilingual country, which mm-hmm. French is part of their national language. So I went from like kind of pseudo doing Spanish when I was in California to then having mandatory French for eighth oh. and ninth grade. Uh, and it was brutal because I jumped in kids start taking French at in like second grade. So I had to yeah. jump in towards the end. And that was, that was rather, rather painful. Well, I'm I'm sorry that was painful for you, but we have greater pains to deal with in society nowadays. Pains <laughs> in the realm of trillions of dollars every year. So with that terrible segue, let's talk about infrastructure. When most people talk about infrastructure, these discussions in modern times suffer from a definition problem, right? Uh, to avoid that, to avoid that kind of definitional semantic entanglement. We're just going to borrow um, a definition from a somewhat more popular podcast. You might've heard of it, Freakonomics. Uh, they recently had an episode on infrastructure. I recommend it because they talk about things that we don't. So I don't feel like we're going to lose our loyal listeners. Uh, but in it, they interviewed uh, Ed Glazer, the department chair of economics at Harvard. And he gave a pretty solid definition. He said, I think it is valuable to distinguish what we typically mean by infrastructure which is projects which are fixed in place where there's a significant upfront cost and the valuation depends on future use. So that includes the electricity grid, that includes highways, that includes trains, that can include broadband investments, but it doesn't include home healthcare workers. And there's nothing negative about home healthcare workers. They may well be more valuable than many things we are calling infrastructure, but they aren't infrastructure, end quote. So I think that's a pretty solid definition, right? I think that's pretty like, you know, more permanent, big expense, future-oriented kind of project. And I you know that it's never going to be perfect no matter who you talk about. I think that's generally pretty good. Um, so with that in mind, with that kind of definition, before we get into the 2021 bill, this $1 trillion bill, I think it's important that we have a little historical overview of infrastructure. And Cody, I see it in your eyes. Go, go, Inspector Rome. 
Oh, this just, yeah, this is the segue for Cody. Um, so like Roman infrastructure is super famous and I feel like it's the easiest thing for people to really get a grasp on because when you think of Rome, people think of roads, people think of aqueducts and people think of like the Colosseum. And those are like major Roman construction projects. What's interesting is there's a, there's a, a really clear link between Roman infrastructure and, and American infrastructure, actually. And that is a lot of the construction of roads in Rome, which really starts in like kind of 300-ish BC, the true construction. Um, under the Consul Appian is the most famous, the Via Appia, which is the big road in and out of Rome. But a lot of it was for military movement. And that was a lot of the, the purposes for it in order to start defending what is becoming a real actual you know legitimate military power as it they move into their kind of middle republic years and that's really when it starts getting um finalized and, and you get these like really clear roads coming in and out um and that's the same in in u.s history which we could talk about uh kind of under eisenhower right you get some of those construction projects dealing with his uh his time from the military and his, I mean, certainly Eisenhower is inspired by the Germans who have the whole jealousy uh, of the Germans. Uh, yeah, yeah, Audubon system, military movement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he's quoted after like waging World War II of just being like jealous of the Germans' road system. But before he was the uh, the general of the Allied forces, he was on a military expedition in the United States to determine how easy it would be to move troops from like the East Coast to the West Coast. And basically he gets to the Midwest and he's like, yeah, we're screwed. Uh, <laughs> no. Oh, no. Um, so that was a big factor in Rome, right, is building those roads. But then the aqueducts are also really famous. So Rome had more water per capita than I think even modern cities do because of the way that they were able to construct the aqueducts flowing in to, uh, to Rome. I mean, they had running water and bathhouses in Rome. I mean, public toilets were really gross. Like you had a communal sponge, which operated as your toilet paper. And then there was like a little mini ravine running through the center so that you could rinse off the communal sponge rich people had their own sponges so i guess there's perks to being oh wow yeah talk, <laughs> you talk about talk about bezo sponge yeah you don't want to be a pleb in rome you've got to use the communal uh toilet sponge to uh clean up after yourself <laughs> that is um, it's just nasty. yeah yeah not a great look but yeah anyways but not really really once once you get into the kind of like the later republic and then once you get into the empire really that's when these projects you really start to see them exploding and something we actually talked about in a previous episode was the you know the bread and circuses right and so you get projects like building the colosseum under the flavian dynasty and that project is just un, i mean there's a difference between constructing roads in and out of rome we can talk about that it's very different when you're talking about building the Colosseum just solely to win over public support so that the people rally behind you and rally to your cause. Because by the time you get into the empire, you're dealing with populares rulers, like it's just populist control at that point. And so you needed the games, you needed the, the big showings, you needed the gladiatorial combat. The infrastructure uh, became a political tool to manipulate the people. Oh, that feels like a segue if I've ever heard one. You know, listen, I, <laughs> good at those ones. I, I try, I try my best. That was not intentional, but it it reminds me the, the founding fathers, they studied Rome. 
right? They were very, very much aware of what happened when that kind of demagoguery happened. Um, and, and for anyone who's taken their, their basic civics, uh, the civics class, they know that the Constitution is one of enumerated powers, meaning if we don't give government the power to do something, they simply don't have the power, period, right? You can't say, well, you didn't say I couldn't do it. Like that, 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 is, that excuse generally isn't, is not supposed to fly. And this is a lesson that we get from, you know, James Madison, right? When he was president, granted he was only president for a short time, um, it's important to remember that Madison was the father of the Constitution. He was intimately involved in its, in, in, in its construction. And he vetoed a bill by Congress that would fund the building of basic roads and canals. Like we're talking real cheap, real basic roads. And this is a project, an infrastructure project. He vetoed it. He initially endorsed it because after the War of 1812, again, military movement, he realized how weak the American infrastructure was for defense. But he ultimately vetoed the project that he himself had at first endorsed. And if you'll in, indulge me, I want to read uh, uh, just a section of his veto message. It's basically him lashing Congress for thinking this. He says, I am not unaware of the great importance of roads and canals and the improved navigation of watercourses, and that a power in the national legislature to provide for them might be exercised with, uh, exercised with signal advantage to the general prosperity. But seeing that such a power is not expressly given by the Constitution and believing that it cannot be deduced from any part of it without an inadmissible latitude of construction and reliance on insufficient precedents, believing also that the permanent success of the Constitution depends on a definite partition of powers between the general and the state governments, and that no adequate landmarks would be left by the constructive extension of the powers of Congress as proposed in the bill, I have no option but to withhold my signature from it. Now, I read that and I nerd out like, yeah, Madison, go, go, go. And then I realize, how would my students read that? And they go, I don't know what the hell he said. Basically, <laughs> basically, Madison wanted this project. He proposed it. But he said that because no power was given to Congress to do it, only the state governments could conduct those projects at all. He had to either abandon his constitutional principles that he wrote into the document, or he would have to say, no, we can't do this, at least not in the same way. It's important to note that Madison's successor, John Monroe, he would also call for a funding bill. He would also veto that bill. And to him, Congress could fund infrastructure projects, but they could not actually control the spending over that money. They could not actually direct the construction of the projects. They basically had to hand the money off to someone else in order to be constitutional, which is where we get the idea of state grants, right? Grants to the states to do their projects. And Christy, you know, being intimately involved in state politics, how important are, are federal grants to the states? Well, that really depends on who you ask, um, <laughs> as is the case in most things in politics. Um, you know, I would say... Typically, part of the problem is the federal government makes grants to states. So what sometimes happens is Republican states that tend to be less in favor of grants like that 
because they believe in states' rights. They don't want the arm of the federal government reaching into the state because, you know, if the state gives you, or sorry, the federal government gives you the money, they also usually have the power to direct how you spend that money. And so a lot of Republican states don't want that. However, if they don't take it, then you have these more liberal states taking all the money and the taxpayers from all the states are putting into that fund. And then basically like money from a conservative state is just being dumped in a state like California that will take every single handout the federal government gives them. So I feel like it's a very layered, complicated issue. And that's why you'll see um, governors of both parties taking the federal money that's offered to them and senators from both parties asking for the federal money to come to their states because it's going to go somewhere. And so they want it. Well, and this is where you come up to like the constitutional question, right? Because roads are mentioned once in the Constitution, right? So and only for postal roads, not even for basic basic travel. See, I'm also going to say they also had no cars back then. So I mean, more as a joke, but like, uh, true, they didn't talk about roads very much, but they also had no idea what modern transportation would look like. And I'm absolutely an originalist when it comes to the Constitution. But are there some issues they didn't elevate to the degree that they would have? Well, that's a dangerous discussion. Well, I mean, they also, they didn't contemplate the internet. They didn't contemplate Twitter. They didn't contemplate semi-automatic rifles. Dangerous discussion to get into. Um, So so on fire. I mean, they knew what roads were, like movement of troops and everything was, like that's dating back to, and they had, you know, did they didn't have, cars but they had methods of more rapid travel so i think that as much as today like travel wasn't as i mean you stayed within your own radius like mostly like travel was less expansive there was less need to travel from state to state on a constant basis like we do all the time um, which is it's a random point and not overwhelmingly yeah. relevant to what we're talking about today. I just think that could be part of the reason that roads were not, you know, overwhelmingly and, mentioned and, in the Constitution. And there is a big constitutional question whether or not Congress can even do infrastructure. But unfortunately, as it happens to be, the Supreme Court has eliminated any real limit on congressional power to spend, right? If it's commerce, it's Congress. Right. And infrastructure is certainly commerce. At least well, so the, the yeah, Court. I mean, but that doesn't necessarily fall under their commerce spending. It falls under their the general welfare clause. Right. So that's falling more under their ability to spend. This is a this is a conflict. I, and so this is one of the, the troubles you get into originalism into with originalism is this was a conflict among the people that drafted the document. Oh, yeah. Right. So Madison was all for a very restrained view of the ability to spend for the general welfare. And Hamilton um, would have said, what spending limit? And that is exactly <laughs> right. what Hamilton said. Exactly. And almost since day one, the U.S. was like, hey, that Hamilton guy sounds pretty smart. And Madison sitting in the corner being like, come no. on. Now, <laughs> now, we could go round and round on on whether it's constitutional or not. And I think I think all of us are lying that it's either unconstitutional, me and Cody, or we are more or less on the idea that it should be far more limited. Okay. And this, this actually kind of leads really nicely into my next point. When we talk about the role of government in infrastructure, I think there are basically two or three ways that you can think about it. Uh, you can have a kind of comprehensive view 
that the national government should prioritize, plan, organize, and fund the projects, or at the bare minimum, incentivize the state governments to do all those things through big spending grants, right? This is kind of the, the, the current modus operandi. This is the Hamiltonian view, if you will, okay? Then there's the more federal or local view that state or local governments should plan, organize, and fund the projects and maybe receive federal help, right? National help. And then there's the minimal view that government should not get in, should not get in the way of private investments in projects, that private companies should be taking on these infrastructure ideas. Um, but at the maybe, maybe, maybe at the maximum, governments should be only be planning projects such as zoning laws to prevent duplication of chaotic communities and subsidize certain projects of national importance like military highways. Um, but on the whole, the, the minimal view is like get government out as, as much as possible, if not entirely. Okay. Um, and then I guess you could say a fourth view, the pure anarchist view is, but why? Why have any government at all? Not just minimal government, but let the market create these projects. Let the market create these bridges and these roads and these canals if we so wish. But that that's, you know, you're looking at basically a, a spectrum of total government involvement to, and no government involvement. There's always a spectrum in between. Where do you guys kind of fit? I think we all kind of have an idea, but where, where are you kind of aligned here? Chrissy, you want to start with you? Um, well, I think Cody should go first on this one. Go ahead, Cody. Get them out. <laughs> done. All right. Or all done. Thanks for coming this week, guys. Appreciate you listening. But now Cody, we'll get to the shout. Oh, but Cody, the, the, ultimate, the ultimate question every libertarian gets, that every anarchist gets, the ultimate question is, but what about my roads? You know, so, and there's two answers to this, <laughs> right? So <laughs> there's, everybody assumes that this is like the dunking point on libertarians. Yeah. And so every libertarian worth their salt has heard this question 600 times. And I guarantee you, they're going to school you on it. Mm -hmm. But realistically, the first answer is like, let's, let's solve some of the other problems and then we'll get to that point. But like, let, since we're talking about roads, I guess we get to be that point. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that you see in the early United States is that some of the, the early road projects were initially constructed. And a lot of them were initially constructed by private entities in order for them to move goods from natural resource areas in order to product into production processing facilities. And so the market did this. The market stopped doing this once government got involved. It's and so like this isn't. Yeah, it's like the library question. Would would private companies create uh, uh, cheap to rent bookstores if the government didn't? Maybe, but we don't know because government is involved. Yeah. And, and you see this like in the like early, early United States, like this is in like the 18th century, like late 18th century. You see private companies stepping up and building roads and doing all this. It's the same thing as like fire departments, right? The first fire department in the United States was entirely volunteer based. It wasn't structured as some sort of taxation system to pay, blah, blah, blah. Roads were easily constructed by the private market for private individuals before government nosed in. And, I, and it's just like anything, you have to get back to your base principle. You have to get back to that level. And what is the proper role of government? Now, if the proper role of government is to defend and protect individual rights, does that include making life easier in all scenarios? 
Uh, no, I mean, if that was the proper role or if that was the, the role of government that you were advocating for, that leads you down a slippery slope to what makes life easy. What's the appropriate, you know, extension of government power in order to simplify your life? And, you know, you can think of a million different market responses here, right? So because people say, well, you'd have a patchwork of toll roads, maybe. And then what might arise would be, I don't know, a system where somebody collected all of the different toll bills and sent them out for the purposes of the different roads and then distributed the expenses that way. I mean, there's a million ways that these problems could be solved by the market. And just because people aren't, aren't creative enough, imaginative enough, right? Yeah. I mean, you get into the eye pencil problem, right? Like you, I can't sit here and tell you how to make a pencil, but the market figured it out. No problem because it's not that hard of a problem to solve. Yeah. One of the, one I of think the... you'd probably call me unimaginative then, which don't worry, I won't take offense with that. I live by a toll road that's owned by a private company and I, I don't like it. I think, I mean, of course, anyone who lives by it will tell you that because it's the fastest way to go somewhere. But in my view, they rip people off. And even when they've paid for their, it, it's a business. It's a money-making venture. That's what it is, which I know, Cody, you love businesses and money-making ventures. And so do I. These are all but positives. Think, I've yet to hear the negative. <laughs> I know, I know. I think, I think in my head, what the difference is, is the constitution does recognize, and it's a huge center of debate as well, but the whole idea of interstate travel and um, things that the government can regulate when it is how people go about their lives and go about their business, which has increased in a modern world. I believe that leaving that to random people who have their own personal motivations on whether or not to prevent certain types of people from using the road, or charging so much that only a certain class of people can use the road. Like I have a problem with that because I think everyone needs roads to live in a free society. And so it's one of the very few things I actually think the government should manage while I think that the current system uh, wastes a ton of money. We could look at CDOT here in Colorado specifically to see how terribly managed the, the projects are and how overpriced they become. Um, so I think there needs to be mechanisms to hold the, the local and state governments more accountable for how they meet the deadlines on these projects and for how they spend the money they're given and don't overspend. Like, actually, it's one of my big views is that there's not enough regulations and mechanisms on government. They put so many regulations on people and on businesses but not enough to hold them accountable for what they tell us they're going to do. So I would personally take a lot of the roads and transportation, put it down at the state and federal levels, or sorry, state and local instead of the federal, but let government handle it because I think that otherwise people are boxed out of using roads, which are in my view necessary to life. So I think, I think how I think, I think most of your concerns are, are, are valid. I think they're all like, yeah, that those are big major questions. Um, I guess I just have three questions that 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 egg on me. Can my, my my dad and I were actually only three, discussion. only three. What I have you? a lot. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm going to do my best to answer three. I can go on and on and on. I actually had a similar conversation with my dad over the weekend. Um, the government has had this power for a long time, and we are still making roads in relatively the same way we have been for a century so if and and this is this is before the rise of the federal government in the new deal and after so like i i'm not sure where i'm not sure what kind of accountability system you can impose that 
hasn't already been thought of, tried out, or or even works. Well, and and I'm going to add to Stanton's question. Oh, I'll sure. Okay. Because those those regulations exist. There are an insane amount of regulations that regulate how government can spend that money on infrastructure, how they can go about those projects that hold them accountable. And I'm using air quotes for going over budget and over time. But those projects are those regulations are enforced against bureaucrats by other bureaucrats that work in similar or other offices. So they I mean, that's the idea that they've perpetuated is that government will hold government will hold government accountable. And so it's this kind of like system right. on top of system. No, and I agree with you. And I think that is why it's unworkable because when you get someone in there who doesn't want to use the accountability mechanisms, they just conveniently don't because they put people in those positions who won't actually hold them accountable, which is why I think the mechanisms need to change. And I think the, clearly the way they attempt to hold themselves accountable isn't real accountability. When you can choose whether or not to follow accountability measures, they're not real accountability measures. So like, I think, and honestly, I think there needs to be a huge overhaul of it. And I think people need to evaluate all the regulations and why they haven't worked, how uh, government can like wiggle its way out of it. And I think there's a place for private business. And that's actually probably one of my main views is that um, instead of government managing so much of the process, like that's where I think private companies and corporations and individuals could come in and do a better job is managing the project, but not like owning the roads. That's probably my big problem is private corporations and businesses owning the roads and therefore like holding that over average people in the public, but asking private companies to come in and manage more of it who are far more efficient than government and other things like that, I would be a fan of, but not them owning the roads. That's my big problem. But so doesn't this apply to, I mean, this kind of applies to everything. That's where the problem I run into this is like, why why is government going to be okay doing this like we don't we want them out of nearly everything else because they screw everything else up and so why is it roads like why why don't we let the market so if if there's a road that's charging people an arm and a leg and nobody can use it then that provides the opportunity for another individual to or collective to make another competitive road that's at a better price and then that'll bring down the overall market you're also- I disagree because there's not enough land to just create roads everywhere and compete in roads. Like there's oh. a limited space available for roads. Well, this, so is, should- well, this, well, hold on. this is my second question. This, this leads really, really nice into my second question because <laughs> you're absolutely right that this is probably the biggest like head, the, the head twister of like, there's not enough land for like co- competition. That's, that's, the, that's the, the claim. Well, there's not enough land for government to do what it wants to do either. Unless government forces you to leave via its constitutional power of eminent domain. And so why is it better that government has the power to just do it at once versus private companies that have to buy it from you? And I know eminent domain, you technically have to buy, but it's never truly at its market value. And, and I, 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 I'm constantly reminded of like Robert Moses, okay? The man who built the urban New York landscape uh, during the 1930s and 40s. He cut through urban black neighborhoods just on a whim. And this was not a federal level. This this is barely a state level. This is New York City. This is as local as you get. Why is that? I mean, do you you see my problem? Like, I know that there's not a way, but like, yeah, I I think it can't can't be left to government. 
I mean, right. Yeah. No. And I mean, this is why fixing government is such a complicated issue because you're like, oh, good. We can solve this issue this way, but oh, another layer of another issue to solve. And I think eminent domain is absolutely like its own debate and a huge issue. And there's some encouraging cases on that front where people have won things and limited the government, but eh, it's not as far as it should be actually. Um, but I, I guess my, my point is not so much that the government should use the land and not people, but that there's flat out not enough land to have real competition in roads, whether it's a private person competing with the government or two private, like there's a limit to how much. And so you will have to eventually choose one of those two roads. So if they, if they're both owned by private companies, they both choose to jack up the prices and you can only use those two and a third one ain't coming in. Like you're kind of stuck and so roads are one of the very few things that I do think the government should manage or own, let's say own. But everything is land limited. So, I mean, timber is land limited. So the government should control that. Oil is how land- is timber essential to our lives. I think that's a difference. Literally like, everything you have is constructed. I mean, your house is constructed using timber. If you don't have timber, you can't like, we don't have a- oh, You can print your house 3D now. I mean, the thing is, like, there are actually other materials to do things with. Well, so and we can I mean, timber in from overseas, and a whole lot of other answers to that. You can't make an overseas road. Like, your road has to be by your house to get somewhere. Like, there are other answers, I think, to get materials. And I love forests and wood and all that. But, but absent the raw materials, if land is limited, then the government has the authority to dictate zoning laws as well. And I know that zoning laws are some of the most, I mean. This is this is where the Karens live are in zoning commissions. Like, <laughs> okay, the the NIMBYs of the world True. they live in zoning commissions. They're 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 uh, they're 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 the uh, I, we well. And so, I mean, here's the other slippery slope. There is literal land is limited. So, should government be able to own all of the land in the United States in order to ensure that people can live their lives appropriately? No, I don't think it's at all about living your lives appropriately. I literally think being able to travel, like go to the grocery store to get food, go to the hospital to take care of your child. Yeah. So taking a step. Not just living a life you want. It's literally like being able to live. You have to be able to travel. So it's connected to like life itself. So taking a step back, you need a place to live, right? And land in the United States is limited. We have a geographical boundary that we're stuck within unless we decide to invade Canada or Mexico anytime soon. Land is limited. So therefore, in order for people to live, they need a house. But because land is limited, government should control the land in order for to make sure that everybody can live. Well, no, I disagree with that because that's an area of life where there's, I mean, I drive past empty land like all the time. There's still like way more land in the United States for housing and all of so that. You can, so you can build roads buy. on that empty land you cross. Well, but, but no, they don't all connect to people's houses. So like the, th- the problem is that, and I, and I like where you're they going. They don't connect yet. Right, ha, there you go. There's always a way to solve it. But like <laughs> where I'm trying to go is that I, I think there's a balance. You guys know I'm more of like a pragmatist. I think there's a balance. It's not, it's not an either or equation. Oh, government must own all land to enable every single thing to happen or government must own no land because private corporations solve it all. I think roads are unique scenario that you can't take up all of the entire land with roads so that people can't have houses because there's not enough room for competition in roads and people must be able to travel to take care of themselves. And I just don't think that someone owning it and not allowing people to travel on it, like if you had to get 
an easement to go anywhere you wanted because another private person owned it. Like that's why the government steps in and forces people to put some public easements on some land so that you can actually like, you know, get out to the road, even if you have to go past your neighbor's driveway to do it. Like, I just think people don't always treat each other right. And sometimes government has to step in. I would define this as one of those occasions. Right. So- and, 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 I've, and, I, and, and, and this really is what, I mean, this is what I love about the show is that we all kind of have these <laughs> different views on, on freedom and liberty. And, you know, you, your objectives are about the same as ours. I think the chief difference between Christy, Cody, and probably myself is that, you know, Christy is, is the optimist and Cody and I are, are, are ardent pessimists, right? You know, you, you, you made, you made a comment like, you know, I want to fix government and Cody are like, there's no, that, that's not a thing. But See, I disagree. Hold on. I want to defend no. myself because I disagree because I'm not, no. yes, like, I don't believe that government has the restraint or wherewithal to stop itself from screwing everybody and spending and doing all these stupid spending packages but I am an internal optimist when it comes to the market. And so where I disagree strongly with Christy is that like, that the market can't fix this problem. So one of the, the longest roads constructed in the United States was construction in like the 1790s in, in Pennsylvania and literally still operates today. It operated as a private road all the way through the 20th century until it was bought by the state. And so this idea that there's going to be like two roads that conflict and it's going to be a race to the bottom and people are going to spend $50 just to get outside of their house you know where you see that? You see that in London, where they own all of the roads and infrastructure, and it costs $30 just to drive into the city to avoid congestion on public roads. And so I, I, I see the optimism in the private industry responding to people's needs better than I see that in government. So I, I'm like, yes, I can be pessimistic, so, but I'm optimistic on the other side. We are government. So a question optimism. on that, though, like... I, I feel like a lot of people try to relate the United States to Europe to like prove a point. And I just think Europe being, sorry, being such like a small, very small countries, very small cities, it's very different solving a problem on a small scale than it is for a nation as large as the United States, who is a world power. But um, one of my, you know, I love to get that in. One of my questions is, okay, so it has failed in London. But when you look at the United States, all, at least in Colorado, almost without fail, privately owned roads, like rip people off and charge big prices. And I don't, government I don't. roads, t- there's tend to be far more free government roads than privately owned roads. No, so no, like, no. what's the proof in the United States that privately owned roads would be free to people? One of the, the, fir- the longest road constructed in the early United States was in Pennsylvania and it operated as a private entity all the way through the 20th century. And East Coast is a lot more familiar with this than the West with all the turnpikes, but turnpikes were initially all private corporations that had private investors that people regularly traveled on and used all the way through the 19th century. So private companies were able to do this. And there's no such thing as a free government road. You spend so much money in your tax dollars, including every time you gas up your car, every new car you buy, when you register your car. Well, but that's what pays for roads. That's how they justify road spending. And they're so wasteful on their expenditures on roads that they constantly have to jack up gas taxes. And I basically had to prepay a a road usage fee when I registered. So we bought a new car. And usually when you buy a new car and you do a payment plan, they calculate taxes into the month of payment plan. Because if we bought in Missouri and we registered in Colorado, there's a weird thing. Colorado thought that it had the right to issue a sales tax on a vehicle not made, not sold in Colorado, but nevertheless was going to do it. I paid $2,000 upfront for a road usage fee 
for mm -hmm. roads I will never, ever use. Even right. roads in Fort Collins I will never, ever use. And this is my problem. I'm paying mm -hmm. for things I will never use. That, that if someone oh, says, right. I have the right to your stuff for mm -hmm. my neighborhood. Yeah. Now, so I'd make the argument that government just is wasteful on money, period. That's like where we all agree. Yeah. And like, I, I've looked at the Colorado budget before and what they should cut. They could actually fund these things without charging everyone all of this money. Oh, so yeah. Like, I would, instead of like this specific thing being wrong, like, because they shouldn't fund roads, I'd say it's wrong because the government is wasteful and should be cutting their budget elsewhere. Now, Chrissy, you said something in there that I think really perfectly ties into the, the trillion dollar budget that the Senate passed. You know, they could cut all these things and fund all these things, whether or not you're more of a, a libertarian or anarchist like myself and Cody, or you're more of a traditional conservative like Christie. I think there's something that all liberty lovers can agree on. Let me go through the Senate bill real quick for you. I just want to give you uh, the, the, the 11 major points of funding. <clears throat> there's $73 billion for electrical grid and power infrastructure. 66 billion for passenger and freight rail, 65 billion for broadband investments, 55 billion for water systems and infrastructure, 50 billion for the Western water storage, 39 billion for public transit in general, 25 billion for airports, 21 billion for environmental remediation projects, 17 billion for ports and waterways, 15 billion for, elect uh, for electric vehicles, and 11 billion for road safety. Now, that's a lot. It's a crap ton. It's in fact, it's a metric crap ton. Um, <laughs> but whether whether you are no no government, very little government, or some some government, I think the thing that we can all agree on is why aren't each of these different portions, you know, electric grid, broadband, public transport, airport, why aren't all of these things their own separate bill? Why must they be? clumped up in these mega monstrosity bills, bills that require that we take from here, we take from there. We have, I don't, I don't get it. Like, this seems like a silly, silly thing to do. You know, Chrissy's mentioning, you know, better budgeting practices. How about you cut the things that we don't need and we start funding the projects that we all actually want and can use. Why don't we start splitting this mega bill up into smaller bills? This seems this seems like a straightforward thing to me. Am I just naive and dumb here, you guys? No, you're super right. Like that's one of the few things that I think Colorado actually does well. Although the I would argue that the Democrats violate it all the time in the legislature. But like the single subject requirement of bills and ballot initiatives like prevent most laws in Colorado from being like super multi tiered and doing all of these different things and. They've definitely found ways around it. But those kind of limits on bills, you can't just stuff all this pork in and do all these things that people wouldn't vote for, but they want this one thing. So they are going to vote for your bill. It's absolutely what causes tons of waste in government at the federal level. Yeah. I mean, this bill is over 2,000 pages long. Like, this oh, is insane. Goodness. Like, I mean, the idea that any representative or any senator had the ability to read this bill before they voted on it is i mean there's just no way like there's no, no way they read it and there are some insane things in there there's a board to like we're spending millions of dollars to create a federal board to encourage women to get into trucking like because we need more 
women truckers in the United States. Apparently it's really important to have diversity in trucking, you know, God forbid, maybe there's a reason that there's not more women in trucking, but it's probably a bad one that we can spend money to fix. There's millions of dollars spent on like looking at treating invasive plant species because that's infrastructure. There's my favorite is there's an inclusion in there to create a commission to study into the the viability and um, oh, what is it? The um, a program to test the feasibility of a road usage fee in the United States. So essentially what they're doing is they're spending $50 million of the infrastructure bill to test how much more that they can charge the American people for using the roads in order to keep paying for the roads. If you don't, if this is not a racket to people, then like, I don't understand of the worst, worst variety. This is insane. I mean, we're, we're dropping trillions of dollars potentially on, all of these programs and all it leads to is more government programs that constitutes more waste. That's going to figure out how to take more money for, from, from the American people. Like it, there's no end here. No, the, this is, this is the, the amount, the amount of borrowing that's going to be required to make this happen is astronomical, especially when inflation is already spiking upwards at, at rates that are just i mean there, there's a reason that biden's approval ratings are dropping it's not just afghanistan it's it's prices right the inflation is terrible and the fact that this is <laughs> chris I'm, I'm sure you were just you're just eating this up with the news the house which is controlled by democrats um this infrastructure bill is in and of itself becoming a political football because there's a Another general spending bill, not infrastructure related, a general spending bill, $3.5 trillion that Democrats won't pass until the infrastructure bill is passed or they won't just pass. passed. Did it just passed fan, the house fan bloody tastic, right? There's there, there's another. Yeah, it's ridiculous how much money they're spending. And like what's really hard, like when I work in politics right now, that it used to be that people would care when you told them, oh, hey, this is a $3 trillion bill that's going to cost your kids this much money. People used to care. Literally, that equation does not enter people's heads anymore. They're like, eh, we'll figure out a way to pay for it in the future. The modern and monetary theorists have just dominated and infiltrated every aspect yeah. of it. And you can't even, if you as a candidate, you can't even run on, oh, we think $3 trillion bill, three trillion spending bills are terrible, especially when they're combined with this other bill. People are like, eh, we don't care. It's almost like too big of a number for them to even conceive of. Yeah. And that's the thing you have to figure out is like, talk about how what you're going to do is going to benefit their life in their neighborhood today, because people are that, like they have that, those much of blinders on that little I don't want to use the word care, but I'm going to care for the future and the spending burden we are putting on our children and grandchildren. They just like have no conception of what this means for us. Yeah. I mean, I I should clarify it advanced. It didn't like formally pass out of the house, but what they thought was going to be the roadblock was they weren't going to advance the $3.5 trillion spending bill. If, or sorry, they weren't going to advance the $1.3 trillion yeah, dollar. The, the infrastructure bill was not going to be touched unless the major spending bill was passed first correct so they they advanced it so now it goes to like a full vote i think it's next month or something like that but i, I mean this is the problem when you let government 
get outside of its proper role. This is what you get. And and Stanton and I were piling on Christy a little earlier, but unfairly so potentially. But, oh, but, fair, this, fair, fair, fair. <laughs> but this is why. And this is where I just, I, what do, how do we stop this? How do you stop if, if the question is, yes, they can do it, but as soon as you get to that, but you get into $3.5 trillion spending bill, you get into a $1 trillion infrastructure bill. And as soon as you give, or you assent that government has the power to, then you're just haggling over price. And so you, you hope that the, when the right person is in office, they will exercise that power appropriately. But our government isn't designed for the right person to be in office. Our government is designed to protect against the wrong person being in office and screwing up our system. We're you know way what? past that point, but this is what happens. Ironically, do you know what kind of government is designed for the right person to be in office? Uh, socialism? Monarchies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ironically, ironically enough, they're designed for the right person to be in office and republics are designed to keep the wrong people out. Which is similar, or to limit the power so that when the wrong person is in, they can't matter. screw with your daily life. Yeah. And, you know, we have we it is, it is a, a, a great blessing that we have people like Christie who are willing to go to bat and say, stop, this is a this is madness. This is this is insanity. We have to we have to stop and think about how we're going to do this properly. So. No, crit. No, Cody and I can shout to the wind, and we can you know wail and bite and gnash our teeth. But Christy's actually in the fight. She's the oh, she's the one actually like trying to get this to slow down and say, you know, maybe we should, maybe we should go three point five. Maybe we should slow down a little bit, you know. So you no, know, to Christy goes goes the laurels of victory because she's the one actually in the arena. Cody and I are just you know. Well, also got to actually you know win some things, so we're we're working on that. Here, yay, go, go, go. For it. Cody, by the way, yes, you are working hard to secure the rights of man in their. I firearms. sue the government for you a sue living. The government for the living, and I, <laughs> God bless you. In fact, in fact, you know what? I think I'm the only one that's actually a, a taxpayer-funded person in this group. Ooh, yeah. but yeah. You, you train the future government leaders who will do it right. To so. be fair, I tell my students, if I don't convince you that my job shouldn't exist, I haven't done my job well. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, let's wrap this up. Um, infrastructure is important. None of us disagree on that. I, it's just a matter of who should take on the primary role of making infrastructure happen. You know. Cody's very much the markets. Christy is very much a, a restricted, responsible government. I'm more of a maybe markets, maybe local, local governments, but certainly not, certainly not big, faraway uh, uh, legislatures. But we're all in agreement that it's got to be handled carefully because there's a major risk in violating the, the basic tenets of limited government. There's a big risk in violating essential property rights with eminent domain. And there's a big risk in violating the fundamental nature of communities. If government is given too much power over the essential 
the, the literal essential services and functions, right? When you give government a monopoly over that, you have to be super, super careful about how they exercise that monopolistic power. And that's something all three of us care about. Ladies and gentlemen, um, we're going to close up here. If we have any shout outs, Cody, Chris, do you have any shout outs here? Um, hmm. Arr. Just total silence. To Chrissy's family, I don't know. There you go, always, always. Cody, uh, I'm I'm not much better. I don't, you know, I don't think I have a uh, a specific shout out this week. I I'm starting honestly. I don't know how many episodes we're at now, but I'm starting to lose track of like who I've shouted out. And so now I need to like, I need like a list. Can I, I need to like compile a list so I don't double shout out, but. Uh, hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to double shout out my wife because I'm probably actually triple because she's my wife and she's super patient with me. Well, now, you, now thanks for just making me look bad. You don't have a wife, so it's okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure my girlfriend will really enjoy that. Well, sh- thanks, shout out Danny. to Haley then. Shout out to Haley. That's there, what I'm see, I just, I, I just, I did you a favor. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm going to know when she listens to the episode by her just randomly walking up to me and hitting me one day. So at least I'll know when she made it through. <laughs> at least Stanton remembered. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. Well, I'll give a shout out to my wife, um, Anna, uh, for one, being patient just with all this. She also helped fulfill one of my lifelong dreams of getting me a bulldog. Uh, Arma, she's our, she's, our, she's our new member of the small little clan we have. Um, and she's just the sweetheart. So thanks to her. And I'll give a shout out to my dad, uh, who uh, we had a very similar conversation on infrastructure this past week. And so it was good to kind of bounce some ideas off of him. So uh, that's going to wrap it us, uh, wrap it up for us uh, here until next time, uh, where we are going to talk about something that will probably be self-evident and likely forgotten. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SEF underscore pod, as well as Facebook. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you listen to. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next time.